0: Before I get into the Word, we're going to talk about our mission this week, Um, but before I get into the Word, I I just want to acknowledge the fact that this weekend, and specifically tomorrow, is the celebration of Martin Luther King's uh, life, and um, he was a figure upon which we all kind of rest as a congregation, because he pressed forward with the idea of equality and there being no distinction on the basis of ethnicity, and his... Desperate intention is doggedness to make sure everybody was included in that. We have who we, what we have. We have who we have. And there's no way we can separate the two. I, I was very young when he passed, when he was assassinated. So I was even younger when he did most of his productive ministry. And so I don't remember a whole lot, but I remember that day. I remember that day. I remember where my mama was, I remember where I was, I remember where my daddy was, and it was sad. But a man lived a life that allowed us the privilege of having what we have. So I can tie back. I can remember. And um, it's, it's kind of a, every once in a while we just need to have a hallelujah moment about who God has made us. Just, just FYI, this, we do live in a southern state called Virginia. And we do have black and white folk that are in the same room, not just in the same room, in the same small groups, not just in the same small groups, on the same staff, that really love one another and work through all the difficulties of what it means to not having grown up the same way at all. Disparate backgrounds, very different expectations about what society ought to do for one person or another. Yet when we come together, there's phenomenal unity, even though there may not be great agreement. I don't know how that happens, except that the Holy Spirit orchestrates it. We have to participate. But he's the one who lets it turn out the way it does. You know how, um, you know how mama always makes the best whatever? I mean, you could, she can give you the recipe, but it ain't going to turn out like that. And you just say, what is it you do? I mean, I I put exactly what you put, but when you do it, it's like you put some of yourself in it. Because it doesn't taste like what, it tastes like when I make it, I just. And that's one of those things that only the Holy Spirit can do. It When man tries to contrive it, it doesn't work. doesn't taste the same. But when the Holy Spirit does it, it tastes like we taste. And for that, I'm very grateful to Almighty God because we made the recipe complicated. It's hard enough just doing church when you have one ethnicity. It's really hard when you have a bunch, especially the two that haven't gotten along as well in all of our American history. And that's why Paul has to write a lot of letters because he's writing to two different groups in the same church, Jew and Gentile. This is how you work it. And we get a lot of letters to a lot of churches who are struggling in fact, most of the epistles, most of them, are to churches that are multi-ethnic. There's only a couple of letters in the entire New Testament that only deal with people of one ethnicity. James, Hebrews. Even the pastoral epistles written to individuals help those men work on what they're doing with their multi-ethnic church. Every other letter is to a church that's trying to figure out how do we do potluck dinner he mm, got the kosher Jewish people who you know they don't ever eat any, no ribs, no shrimp, no lobster and, and, and these Gentiles they bring in all that stuff to the, to the pot how do we do potluck dinners? Paul had to work it and we have to work it but the taste is right when you work it right and for that I'm grateful okay turn with me over to the book of Acts book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 9, verse 31. The title of the message is Experience Community Church Health. And as we look there, there are three things that make up our mission. One, to encounter Christ, which we talked about last week. Two, to experience community, which we're going to talk about today. And three, to expand the kingdom, which we'll talk about next week. Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria... Enjoyed peace, having been built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Lord, help us as we study your word. Amen. Five things on this passage about which I want to talk to you. One, places. Two, peace. Three, pulled up. Four, progress. Five, productivity. Production. The writer of Acts is doing what he can to try to give a history of the church's progress in the world. And the writer is, is a man, man named Luke. He wrote the book of Luke. And so we see in the book of Acts a progression of its growth, its understanding of theology, major players who would be added to it that would bring greater increase by their ministry in particular. And here we see the church in Jerusalem had been really built up beautifully. But it wasn't just the church in Jerusalem. It said, so the church in Galilee, Judea, and Samaria was being impacted greatly by God. The church started in Jerusalem, but now it it had expanded. And to give you some perspective, Judea is the region where Jerusalem lies and probably extends in a radius of about 20 miles beyond that. About 35 or 40 miles is Samaria, northeast of Jerusalem. And then 40 miles above that is Galilee. So somewhere in the neighborhood of Jerusalem, Galilee and Samaria, Samaria, Galilee, you had 90, 80 to 90 miles that separated these three different communities but the gospel was being spread beyond that which started in Jerusalem. And what Jesus was asking the disciples to do was coming to pass. Go into all the world and preach His gospel. Making disciples of all nations. And as I look at what community looks like, community is not, not just about us four and no more. It's not just about building a, a local family that feels every time they come together, this is great. Aren't we enjoying one another greatly in this great how God does what he does? This is really, really neat. Not just about that. Though I'm happy people have that sense about who we are. It's about expansion. We want to be a church that's a whole lot like the church that is described in Acts 9.31. My goal, getting up every day as a minister, is not just to build a healthy congregation, not just to build a healthy, large congregation. And I say large not because I need my ego stroked so that I feel somehow my life is worth it. I say large simply because the more people you impact, the more people you can impact. trying to win my city. My goal is to train you to be the ministers that can go out there and do what I can't do. I don't work in your workplace. My sons don't play on your soccer team. My daughters don't go to your dance recitals. I don't have any. They all gone now. But where you are, you can impact that world greatly. And my job is to train you to take the kingdom wherever you go. So that we can do this multiplicity thing. Take a little bit of us and clone us over there. Clone us over there. Do that over there. By by the grace of God, the Lord has helped us. We have a congregation in Sterling. Right down the street at Dominion High School. They meet 300 people over there. Fabulous. Pastor Eddie Barnes is doing a great job. We have a church downtown, D.C. Pastor Donald Jones, we planted 20 years ago. He's doing a fabulous job with stuff that is, that is Ill, ill-suited for church. And he's got a church of three to 400 people down there. He's doing great. And they just bought a building. It's so exciting. We planted in L.A. We planted in Denver. We planted in Vietnam with the Vietnamese We planted in Phoenix, Arizona. We planted 15, 17 years ago in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Helped with another church in our every nation world. Planted in Charlottesville, Virginia. Planted in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Planted in Orlando, Florida. Planted a lot of places. We're trying to figure out how in the world can we make Chantilly be more. Here we have multi-locations for this one congregation. This is what community looks like for us. It's not just about us, it's about them. And please understand as much as I love you, I am equally growing in love with my community every day. I can't get away from the idea of getting up every day realizing that God has called me to be more than I am for you. Jesus spoke to me in 2000. December, I was at a conference. I was doing my devotionals that morning, reading my Bible, sitting in my bed. And he showed up. Jesus showed up in my room. Every time I share this story, people say, what did he look like? (laughs) Doesn't matter. But he showed up in my room. And he said two things to me. He said, believe me for the city, and I'll send you the men. He hadn't shown up like that since and didn't before. At that time, we only had 350 people, maybe 400 on Easter. We didn't have anything to speak of that could begin to approximate influence like God was speaking to me for the city. Wow. Okay, I'll start believing. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'll start believing. And when he says men, he's not talking about gender. He's talking about generic. I'll send you the people. And as I've gotten up every day, And tried to be as faithful as I could. Failed at that many times. He has helped me in my weaknesses. And strengthened me in my strengths. So that we could produce what we have. And my goal is. Not only to believe him for what we have established. But to believe him for more in our city. We need. I've been talking with Pastor Donald Jones downtown. The man we sent. We need six or seven congregations in D.C. proper. There are 701,000 people in D.C. proper only 15% of those folk go to church. 15%. That means there are 600,000 folk just sitting around on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying the church is a qualifier, the indicator of whether somebody is right with God. I'm saying it is an indicator of church health and community health for community. And so it tells me something. It doesn't tell me the whole story, but it does tell me something. Now, even if we were to build six or seven congregations, that's still not enough for 600,000 people. So we need the rest of the body of Christ to do what they're supposed to do, but we must do our part. So we're going to establish a bunch of churches, many as we can, while I still draw breath in D.C. And beyond that, which (laughs) defines my life, that's why we have all these young people doing what they're doing, so that they can carry on this vision. Pastor AJ, Pastor Jared, Pastor Tellus, Garrison, who prayed up here, Miata, Tiffany, all these people who are the next generation and below are now taking the vision, mission, value that we have. All those things that are dear, that we have been stu- given a stewardship by God, taking them, holding them on the inside of them, and so now they are going to replicate them. They will have a different voice, and it, it, it'll be a, a very different look because their generation doesn't do what I do. None of them wear bow ties. They don't do what I do. They appear they with jeans with holes in them. More like holes with jeans around them. They dress different. They think different. I'm not mad about that. They're going to do everything different. Different wineskin, same wine. And so they'll be able to take it once I have expired. And if they take it to where they should and then it wasn't far enough, they'll train somebody else. But we're going to do what we can to see this thing happen. Multi-locations. Woodbridge. Prince George's County. Montgomery County. Fairfax County. Loudoun, every place that is the DMV, we want to be. Secondly, it says that they enjoyed peace. Peace is a valuable quality. But peace is that which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, talking about the peace that comes from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but preserved by us. The kind of peace that is referenced here is that there wasn't much persecution anymore, at least not as active as it had had been. The church seemed to have kind of a respite from the difficulty through which they had been over a long period of time. But it also speaks to the internal things that were going on in the church. There, there There wasn't any commotion. There weren't people that were trying to split it. They didn't have a lot of discord. There was peace. But the only way you can have peace in any setting Organizational piece is if somebody is stewarding the environment well. If somebody doesn't intentionally stop the tide of entropy, then things are going to get messed up all the time. Entropy is that which all, it's a a law of physics. All things go toward if nobody begins to stop the process. It means chaos, just degradation and disintegration. As evidenced by the fact that if you do not, for one week, seven days, do anything to keep your house together, all you do is get up, get yourself together, and go to work, you don't do anything else, what happens to your house? (laughs) Dishes in the sink, stuff on the floor. The only way you can keep entropy from happening in your life is that you have to exert vigilance. You have to tell people, pick up your clothes. Hey, 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 when you put the dish in the sink, rinse it out and put it in the dishwasher. You got to tell people stuff. They know, but it doesn't matter that they know. You got to tell them. You got to exert order. You have to exert power to keep it from falling apart. Same way in your own soul. You can't just wake up thinking everything's going to be all right. You have to be intentional about keeping your soul together. Or else you'll find yourself in a place of entropy. Not near as held together as you would like when the circumstances need you to be whole. You're falling apart. Everything around you is falling apart and so are you. Peace is that which allows you to hold it together when everything else is falling apart i.e. Jesus in the boat, he tells them in Mark chapter 3, we're going to the other side. They're on one side of the Sea of Galilee, they're going to the Gadarenes, which is on the other side. Disciples get in the boat, they head that direction. Squall comes that they had never seen before. I mean, intensity they had never seen before. Stuff starts happening where water's flowing over the boat. The disciples are are seasoned fishermen. They are bailing as fast as they can, but they can't put, put the water out. Faster than it's coming in. And so they now realize we are going to die. And, and they, are, they are astounded that Jesus, who is right there on the boat with them, is not helping them. He's, he doesn't have a cup. He doesn't have a spoon. He's not using his hands to bail one little bit of water out the boat. And they can't believe it. And they don't want to say anything because they know he's all that. But at some point, their frustration just builds over. And Peter says, you know know it had come to a boiling point. Because the natural thing would be, can you please help us? He doesn't say that. He says, don't you care that we're dying? Informing him of how bad it is and then accusing him of not caring. You know he's been holding this for the last 45 minutes. Jesus is asleep. He's asleep. He wakes him up, Peter does, with those words. Jesus doesn't say a word to Peter. He gets up out of the hull of the boat, goes to the bow of the boat, and says, peace, be still. My version, shh. Immediately the wind stop and the sea becomes calm. These men dripping wet are sitting there with buckets in their hands going. And they say this, who is this man that that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, he is the son of God, but he's a man who had peace on the inside. And when you got peace on the inside, sometimes you can give it to the outside. If you don't have it on the inside, you ain't got nothing to give. Peace is valuable because very rarely does your world abide and do what you want it to do unless you exert some effort. God gives it. It's supernatural. When you get it, it's the fruit of the Spirit. What does it say? Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. comes from God. But when you get it, you cultivate it so that when those times of chaos come, you can utter a word and things come into line. Peace. The church enjoyed peace. We're enjoying peace, not because we are good architects, but because God is so good to us. And all we've done is work hard at trying to preserve that which he gave. Thirdly, pulled up. Two things uh, here, it talks about how the church was being built up. In order to get us to where we need to be, up, it's important for us to at least have two pillars in our life. One, the word of Almighty God, two, people. We need the word to help define who we are. Have I said in this service yet that you need to read your Bible every day? You need to read your Bible every day. I'm going to say it differently. You need to read your Bible multiple times every day. Why? Because it is a mirror. It, it reveals what you're not supposed to look like to the world. It reveals what you do look like to the world. And it reveals what you're supposed to look like to the world. It's been said, I don't know who did the study, but before you go out of the house every day, you look into the mirror at least 20 times. 20. To make sure you're as right as you can be. I know I do. I don't have a problem with it. I've got to make sure the beard is contoured like this. And, and set like this under here so it's not all scruffy. Got to be some lines going on. I've got a little ball spot that's developed so I've got to make sure the hair just swirls quite Right. <laughs> So that it looks the way it's supposed to, I want to look. And so you got to use a couple of mirrors for that. You got to do. mm -hmm. Mm. When I put my tie on, I got to make sure it's straight. It matches my shirt. My shirt has some things that match my suit. My belt matches my shoes. My my socks even got a little stuff in them that matches what I got. I try to I try to think before I walk out the house. I call myself a thoughtful dresser. I'm not trying to be stylist. I'm just trying to be thoughtful. And then I look in the mirror and I put my butt in my coat. Say, That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see right there. I walk out the house and if I don't like what I see, I'm not walking out the house. I'm going to fix what I don't like. And why? Because my job is to represent I'm trying to represent on your behalf what kingdom looks like that's thoughtful. That's all I'm trying to do. It may not be the style you like, but it's what i developed and it allows you to know at at least he put some thought into this thing. If you aren't going out, by the way, I don't sleep with a bow tie. If you aren't going out, do you do all the stuff you do when you got to go out? You barely brush your teeth. (laughs) (laughs) You don't shave. You don't do your hair. You put on sweats and you just going about the house. You don't care what you look like. It takes 45 minutes for most men to get right. An hour and 20 minutes for most women. No commentary on the difference. I'm just saying. I wish we would put as much effort into trying to spiritually look right as we do naturally. Because you're not looking, you don't look near as good spiritually as you do naturally. I don't either. I I have some flaws. I got some blemishes. I got some things I don't want people to see and I find myself using makeup to try to cover it up. I have some issues in my life that need to be addressed, but the only way I can address them well is if I'm in my Bible, not ignoring them, not hoping that no circumstances come up today that are going to reveal who I really am to everybody. Boy, that's embarrassing, isn't it? When this thing that happened that you didn't plan to happen, and then you said that which you didn't want anybody to hear, though you'd said it many times. Most of the time when we say, I didn't mean to say that, we don't mean that. We mean, I didn't mean for you to hear it. Because what was on the inside was there and you had not policed your own soul enough to make sure that you repented of it before it came out of your mouth. And now everybody knows what you really think and you're trying to backpedal constantly. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. But everybody knows. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. OK, no, that's good. OK, yeah, we got it. No problem. We forgive you. No problem. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm. We don't police. We don't govern our own our own souls. This is what the Word does. It's a mirror to us. It lets us know, ooh, better fix that. You're not in compliance there. Ah, Lord's working on you there. That's good. You're better than you were last week. That's good. Uh, That area there, you got a long way to go. You're not in sin, but you're not as right as you ought to be. The mirror of the Word helps us. If you don't get in your Word regularly, you're not going to know what you ought to be. And we're not just talking about behavioral modification, trying to get you to perform better. It's always better to be better than bad. I want you to do good rather than bad. So behavioral modification is always profitable. But that's not the goal. The goal is to make you better so that the behavior naturally comes out because you aren't able to support good behavior with bad, bad character. At some point, it's going to all come out and everybody's going to see, you were faking it. You're front-running. You're not real. If you become before you do, then you're able to sustain all of your doing because it's transformative on the inside. And that's what allows you to now not have to reconstruct that which you destroy with your character. So many people find themselves in spots where if they had done what they were going to have to do to be restored, then they wouldn't have had the need to be restored. Meaning people who do wrong don't practice faithfulness in their marriage, have issues at at work with with embezzlement, lie or betray their friends or, or, or backbite and the friend finds out about it. All those things... The remedy is going to be get in the word and repent and figure out how to do it better. That's the remedy. But if they had been in the word beforehand, then they wouldn't have to recover. So, lesson: If you're going to use the same stuff to recover that you would use to build, do the stuff necessary to build so you won't have to recover. Get in this Bible. Secondly, you need to be with people. People help you. They support you. They strengthen you. I know people are problems. I get it. And I, I, talk, I talk to pastors all the time who say, Pastor, how do you build a, how do you, how do you get a big church? Tell me. Teach me. I said, you really want one? Yeah. I said, really? Well, you know, you just ask them for, for bigger problems, right? Little church, little problem. Big church, big problems. You want one, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. You don't, know, you don't know what you're asking for. People are problems. But remember, you're one of them. <laughs> Before we begin to point the finger, you're, you're, the, you're the issue. So even though they may be a problem, they think you are. So how do we deal with this? We, we come at it from the perspective of I need help. And the best version of help is God moving through people that I may not trust, I may not even like, but they have truth and they care about me. And so somehow or another, we're going to work this thing out to where I'm going to overlook and forgive your offenses and you're going to overlook and forgive mine and we're going to be better together than we ever could be separate. We'll make mistakes on one another, yes. But we're going to progress together. And it's going to be faster than if we had done it on our own. Small groups help you do that. They get you in a relationship with people so they see the blind spots you do not. My pastor, Mark Koch, man who is with us now, started this church. I was with him when he started in 1982. We all came together in August to start this congregation. And I was ministering at Howard University at the time, 20 years old, 21 years old. And I was trying to establish campus ministry. I wasn't doing a very good job of it. And I couldn't figure out why people weren't following me. And Mark had gotten to know me now over about three or four months. We had never really had any relationship until we both got here. And he he looked at me and said, you know, if you try to bring in the harvest rather than burn the harvest, I think people will follow you better. (laughs) What he was saying is, you're just so hard in your presentation, even though you have truth. It's like you're mad at everybody you're talking to. And they don't want to follow that. I said, I'm that? said yeah said thank you fixed it I could have gone another three or four years with that same attitude not knowing it because I was hiding in the Bible I was ministering truth and people ought to swallow it they ought to just take their medicine those sinners I wasn't that mean But something was coming out of me that was intolerant. And he noticed it. I didn't. I changed. People help see things so you can change better into the image of Christ. You will never grow as fast on your own as you will with people. And you will have wonderful opportunities to exercise forgiveness, which is beautiful, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Fourth, it says they progressed. It says they progressed in two things, the fear of the Lord. It says they were moving on, progressing fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord is not that which is portrayed by the mythical god Zeus, where he's up there in heaven and has a lightning bolt, and he is ready to strike anybody who disobeys his commands. That's not our God. Our God leads with mercy. Everybody say Amen. You don't want to miss opportunities when I lead like that and give you easy amens. There's some amens I realize you don't want to say because it really implicates you. (laughs) But this was a good one. Our God leads with mercy. Therefore, you live. If he doesn't lead with mercy and he leads with judgment, you don't breathe anymore. I don't. Because we're worthy of judgment. Every one of us has sinned and the wages of sin is death. The only reason we still breathe is because he leads with mercy. Uh, amazing is he but because he is so good yet is so awesome there ought to be a reverence in our own lives that acknowledges both and says because there's nobody like you who has all power and is righteous and just and could judge me but you choose not to because you love me and you lead with mercy I don't want to do anything that makes you mad I don't want to do anything that somehow brings shame to your name and makes people think you're not what you say you are because of my actions. I don't want to do anything except to bring a smile to your face, God, so that when I go to bed every day, I know you're happy with how I've responded to you. Living in reverence, holiness, purity, fulfilling his mission in the earth, doing his will. And it says when we do that, that the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes alongside now, the comfort of the Holy Spirit is not that which consoles, although it does. But it's not only that. It's that which strengthens primarily. That's what the Holy Spirit is to do. The paraclete, that's what comfort means in the Greek, New Testament. Paraclete means one who comes alongside to strengthen. Para means come alongside. Strengthen, to uphold, to bolster. The Holy Spirit, when you fear God and your intent is doing the right thing all the time, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps you to do it. You can't do it on your own, but he empowers you to do it, strengthens you to do it, sets your mind right so you can do it. There is no failure in God. And when you depend upon him regularly, all you do is move down the field of progress. The comfort of the Holy Spirit comes alongside To lift you up and to give you perseverance when you feel like you want to quit. It's just too hard. Hear me. It may be hard. But the consequences of quitting are harder. Which version of hard do you want? The version of hard that doesn't quit produces great results. Wonderful fruit. The version of hard that quits begins to blame God, accuse him as somebody who's not caring for you because your circumstances are so difficult, that version of heart sets you back. And once you regain your senses at some point, you start all over from where that point is. You've wasted six months of your life trying to figure out how to get right again. The comfort of the Holy Spirit brings you to a new spot. And lastly, productivity. Since the church began to increase... Increase ought to be a part, an expectation of all of us. We need to increase in our character. And that is the the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These things need to be in our lives and they need to be increasing regularly. So that we display the character of God. People want to know, what does God... How do, I know it? How do I know him when I see him? What does he look like? Well, he normally likes to appear in people. And appearing in people in these ways. They are loving the unlovable. They are joyful even when there are opportunities to mourn because they see beyond the period of sadness. They know their God's with them. They have peace in the midst of chaos. They are kind to those who are mean. All the things that we find in these character traits help us understand how Jesus responded to people who were all less than. And his greater than fixed all their less than. That's what we are supposed to be. Secondly, we need to be people that produce in terms of seeing other, other folks come to the knowledge of the truth. Of all the, the New Year's resolutions that you are failing at right now, I pray that you add one that you might succeed at, because you put it in prayer. That then, in 2020, you win one person to Jesus. One, just one. That you make it your aim to make your life double, produce fruit for God. Well, Pastor, I don't know all the passages. I'm, I I don't, I don't know my Bible very well. I don't. How do I? Well, we have classes that help people understand how the average person who is not an evangelist can, can help somebody get right with God. It's an outreach class. It's fabulous. And we hold them all year long, so you can always sign up. Secondly, if you don't know all the passages, you do, you do still have a story. You may not have all the scriptures, but you, has Jesus helped you? Has he done something for you? You've got a testimony to share. And if you are one step in front of the person who's behind you, You are qualified to be a leader. Doesn't mean anybody's going to follow you. But you are now qualified because you're one step ahead. So you might find out, if I'm one step ahead of them in my relationship with God and that they don't have one, maybe if I share how I got one step ahead, they might want to come with me. One person. One this year. Just one. you got 11 and a half months left. One. You can do that. The church began to increase growth is an indicator of health anything that is healthy grows and this is what this church is doing now as i close community ought to look like this for us if somebody were to write about grace covenant church i'm hoping that this here would be the greatest description of us description of us In Chantilly, D.C., Philadelphia, Orlando, L.A., Denver, and all the places that they planted later, the church began to experience peace. And they were built up. And they went on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church grew. That's all I need. That's all I need to know that we've done the will of God. Church, follow me in this. Let's let somebody write our story and it sound just like that. Father in heaven, help us please. Help us to be this kind of community.